We're in 1 Samuel chapter 8 this morning, and we're going to be learning a lot of things. We're going to be talking about a people who cried out, we want a king. First thing we're going to learn is, be careful what you ask for. You know, uh, have you ever asked for something from God and wish you hadn't asked for that? You know, or even a Christmas present you wish you hadn't asked for, you know? We've all asked for things and then thought later, you know, that wasn't really a good idea. Heard a story about these three guys that were stranded on a desert island out in the Pacific, lost. They've been there for years. And they're walking along the, the, the seashore there and in the sand. All of a sudden, lo and behold, what do they find? A magic lamp. They dig it up, and what do you do when you find a magic lamp? You rub it, right? So they rubbed it, rubbed it, rubbed it. Nothing happened. Rubbed it again more, more and more and more. Nothing happened. Rubbed it, rubbed it, rubbed it, rubbed it. All of a sudden, a genie comes out. Lo and behold, and they're all looking at the genie. And they're going, whoa, we get three wishes. We get three wishes. The genie says, no, 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 wait a minute. There's three of you. Each one of you get only one wish. So the first guy says, well, you know what? I've been here way too long. I miss my family. I miss my wife. I miss my life. I just wish I could be home with them. He's gone. Second guy goes, wait a minute. I miss my family. I miss my wife. I miss my wife. I wish I could be there with them. He's gone. The last guy is there at the beach, and he starts crying and weeping uncontrollably. The genie looks at him and says, don't cry. He says, you still have one wish. Your wish is still ready. And uh, he looks up at the genie and says, I just wish my friends could be back here with me. Oops. So let me ask you, what is the purpose of life? You know, Jesus summed it up in these powerful words from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 3. And this is life eternal, that we might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing God and enjoying him forever. That's what life is all about. So what are we going to discover about God today as we want, seek to know him? We're going to discover that his best for Israel was to be their king. But God is sympathetic to their weaknesses, and he knew that in time they would need a human king to rule over them. But God's ultimate plan is to cultivate for himself a people who will live life under his covering, under his protection, under his care, under his rules. Why? Because he knows what's best for us, and he knows how life is best lived, doesn't he? But Israel wanted a human king. They didn't want God to be their king. They wanted a human king. Their reason so that they could be like all the other nations all around them. And in today's lesson, we're going to find that we're not that different than those ancient Hebrews so many years ago. In fact, there's a lot of similarities between them too often and us. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we want to come before you, Lord, as this season reminds us of the wise men who came and bowed before the king. Lord, we want to bow our hearts and our lives before our king. So, Lord, we come with humble hearts. We desire to surrender our lives to you, to, to yield ourselves, to make you indeed King of kings and Lord of lords over our lives. And so, Lord, come and speak to us as we study your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Samuel 8. Israel demands a king. Verses 1 through 3, it says, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now remember, Samuel is a judge, and he's been acting in that role. Now he's going to make his sons judges over Israel because he's old. And the name of his firstborn is Joel, and the name of his second is Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. You know, as we read the Bible, Samuel is one of the most godly leaders in all of the Bible. I mean, he's stellar. And yet he seems blind to the wickedness of his own kids. In fact, he's making excuses for their behavior, sinful behavior, that he would not allow in other people. Isn't that too often the case? But Samuel has been busy serving the Lord. We know that. Remember, chapter 7 ended with the fact that Samuel was traveling from town to town, and he was communicating the things of God, the word of God, the, 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 the ways of God to God's people. But did he fail to bring up his own sons in the way of Yahweh? We don't know, but somehow they have not followed in his example. It takes a lot of effort to raise kids. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it really does. I mean, you've got to be spending time sharing God's word with them every day, praying daily with them as parents, being mindful to talk to our children about biblical truths and how life events and, and, and things that are happening, circumstances around them, how we can relate them to Scripture and to the truth of God's world, how what's going on in this world we can look at through the lens of Scripture. It's so important that we as parents are helping our children to see these things, bringing them to church regularly, bringing them to Sunday school, bringing them to youth group. It's hard, but it's very important as parents to be mindful and purposeful and diligent in our, our witness and, and the way we raise our kids. Verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like the other nations. Now, it was right for the elders of Israel to come and make this request of Samuel. They did not want corrupt leaders ruling over them, and they shouldn't have them. But their reason for asking the, for a king was wrong, and it reveals a deeper problem. You see, God had made it very clear to the people of God and to Israel that he was to be their king. 
His plan was to raise up leaders among his people who are called prophets, priests, and judges. And these leaders would help lead the people at times of national crisis and at times of need for the nation. They would rally the nation together and, uh, and help them and lead them in whatever the need was at the time, whether it be going to war or, or building something. These leaders God would raise up. But their desire for a king wasn't so much bad in itself. It was all part of God's plan. It just needed to happen in his way and in his timing. In fact, if we go all the way back to Deuteronomy, this is back to the law. Hundreds of years earlier, God spoke to Moses and said in Deuteronomy 17, 14, when you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will sell a king up over me like all the other nations around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply for himself horses, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver or gold for himself. Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priest, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. Then he may, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. This that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So God knew that the people would one day come and request a king. He had already established the rules, the requirements for the king that he would choose to rule over his people. But the reason these people wanted a king at this time was the issue that would grieve Samuel's heart and also God's. Israel wanted to be like all the other nations around them. That's a great pressure for all of us today, isn't it? Parents, we know that pressure very well as we raise children. Our children, they want to experience all the same kids, all things that other kids are experiencing. They want to wear the same clothes. They want to do the same things. They want to go to the same places. They want to even take on their same values. Oh, but, you know, this pressure to be like the world is not isolated just to kids, is it? <laughs> we as adults have the same problem too, don't we? Yeah, we want more money so we can buy the things that other people have. We can drive cars like they do and wear clothes that they wear and the shape of our bodies we're concerned about. So we're all tempted with discontentment as we look on around us at those that are living a different life than what we're called to live. 
We are tempted to be discontent with what the Lord wants for us at this time and wait for him to give things to us in his way, in his plan. Two old friends met each other on the street one day, and one of the guys looked really sad. He was on the verge of tears, and so the other friend said, what on earth has happened to you? And the sad fellow said, look, three weeks ago, my uncle died. He left me $40,000. Whoa, that's a lot of money, the friend said. But you see, the sad man continued, two weeks ago, my cousin died, and he left me $85,000. Whoa, that must be amazing to be blessed like that. He said, yeah, but just last week, my great aunt died, and she left me a quarter of a million dollars. He says, whoa, you've got all sorts of blessings coming your way. Why on earth are you so sad? He said, well, this week, nobody's left me anything. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what was the secret of the Apostle Paul's contentment. I believe it was that he understood that his life was rooted in Christ and that Christ would give him what he needed at the right time and in the right way. Newsflash for all of us, being a Christian, being a child of God, means that we are supposed to be different than others that do not know God. Galatians 2.20, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My life is not my own. We gave that away when we gave our life to Christ and made him Lord. Verse 6 in Samuel 8, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge over us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I have brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice, however, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So it's very interesting that Samuel is confronted with a, a deep disappointment. He's confronted with problems. 
He's discouraged. And what does he do with those disappointments? What does he do with his troubles? He brings them to the Lord, doesn't he? He brings them in prayer to God. <clears throat> James 1.20 says, For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Oh, how we would learn that lesson. That would save me so much heartache if I took my frustrations to the Lord instead of to other people. Samuel takes his frustrations, his disappointments, and he takes them to the Lord. <clears throat> and in doing so, he discovers something, doesn't he? He discovers these people are not rejecting him, but they are also, and more importantly, rejecting the Lord. It's not about you, Samuel, God says. It's really about me. We take it so personally when people aren't nice to us, when they reject us or they avoid us. And so often we are experiencing the rejection, actually, of Jesus. We don't recognize it. We take it personally. We think, oh, they're rejecting me. No, many times people are rejecting Christ in us. Jesus said this in John 15, if the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hates you. He, they hate us. They hate us. And the brighter our light shines, and the closer we get to the latter days, the more they're going to hate us. Yeah, that's what Matthew 22 says. Jesus continues. He says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And then he says, but he who endures to the end will be saved. It sounds like the world hates that light of Jesus in his people. Back to Samuel 8, the dissuasion of their requests. Samuel's trying to talk them out of it. He's trying to warn them. It says in verse 10, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked for him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who shall reign over you. He will take your sons and he will appoint them for his own chariots to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over those thousands and captains over fifties. And he will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make weapons of war and equipments of his chariots. And he will take of, his, of your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to his servants. And he will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and his servants. And he will take of your male servants and your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. So God told Samuel... To fulfill the request of the people, to give them what they have asked for, a king. But it's not the best thing for them at this particular time. So why would God 
fulfilled their request when it's not his perfect will at this time in his plan for his people? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Because we ought to pay attention to this. There are times when the Lord will give us what we continually beg him for, and it may not be his will at this particular time in his plan for our lives. But he'll do that in order to teach us lessons that we need to learn, that we are unable and unwilling to learn in other ways. One of the chilling verses in Psalms is found in Psalm 106.15 when we're heard, the psalmist is re, kind of rehearsing what happened in the wilderness when the children of Israel were crying out to the Lord, wanting the things of Egypt, wanting the things of yesterday, the things of the past. And it says, he gave them their request, but he sent leanness to their soul. Oh, Lord, I don't want you to give me my request and send leanness to my soul because I've asked for the wrong thing at the wrong time. I didn't wait on you. And did you notice in those verses we read just now, verses 10 through 18 in 1 Samuel 8, how many times the word take is used? Take, 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 take. Take. That's what the king's going to do. He's going to take, 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 take. Six times the word take is used in those few verses. And it's very interesting as you look at what the king takes. The king is going to take the things actually that are rightfully only God's share or portion of our lives. He's going to take your tithe. He's going to take your first fruits. He's going to take the best that you have. He's going to take your children, your possessions, and your wealth. Only God deserves or has a right to take all those things from our lives. Yet the king is going to usurp that place over the lives of the people. What a difference between Jesus, the king of kings. Jesus was a giver. He's not a taker. In fact, he says in Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. But we always think that God is somehow withholding something for us, from us that we want. We want this, and we want it now. God, you don't. Give it to us. You won't let me have this. And somehow he's withholding from us something that, that we want to experience. And we don't feel that we should have to wait for what others are able to have and to enjoy right now. Do you realize that same desire is rooted in the very first temptation in the Garden of Eden? Yeah, God's withholding from you. Something that's so good and wonderful, something you want right now, if you just reach out and grab it, you'll have everything you want. And that same temptation faces us constantly. 
There's an illustration in my life that uh, I'm a little embarrassed about, but I thought, you know, this is a good illustration at this point to share with you. When I was a young Christian, I had a dream of, of owning a sailboat and sailing around the world. I mean, it was a dream, an obsession, if you will, that I had. And, and I would just fantasize about it. I would daydream about it. It was just like, ah, oh, this would be so cool to get on a sailboat and just sail around the world. Wouldn't that be cool? You know, and I bought magazines, and I bought books, and I read all about this adventurous lifestyle that I wanted to have. And after a few months, well, several months, I felt the Lord really speak clearly to my heart, and he told me that I needed to abandon this passion to get rid of that dream. Well, I wrestled with that. Now, it may seem silly to you, but that was a huge thing. I mean a huge thing in my life. I wrestled with it for several weeks, and then I heard God's voice again speak to my heart very clearly. And this is what he said this time. He said, Steve, you need to make a choice between me or sailing. I'm not proud of my answer to God at this point. A little embarrassed to tell you. Ashamed, if you will. But I honestly told God, give me a couple of days to think about it. I am serious. I'm, I know it sounds funny, but I am dead serious. And I took a couple of days and really thought and prayed about it. Now, the good news is, after a couple of days, I took my two-foot-high stack of books and magazines and gently placed them into the trash can. Because I realized that sailing had become an idol in my life. And that God's warning to me was, if you go down this path, eventually this will rule and control your life, and I won't. Now, was it wrong to want to own a sailboat? Was it wrong to want to go sailing? No. Was God trying to deny me of some good thing? No. But yes, at that time. Interesting part of the story is, 10 years later, God actually gave me a 16-foot sailboat for free. Yeah, it was amazing. It was a miracle. I don't have time to share that miracle, but what I'm trying to say is that it's not that God doesn't want us to have things sometimes. He just knows things that we don't know. We have to trust him and wait on him. Is it hard? Yeah, it's really hard. And it may seem silly to other people, our personal struggles, but they're real for us, aren't they? And just like the children of Israel, I was to wait on the Lord for his timing to receive his blessings, his way, and for the right reasons. But they refused. The children of Israel were going to refuse God's warning. So let's look at the result of their refusal in verses 19. 
through 22. <clears throat> Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the other nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. They had forgotten that it was the Lord that fought their battles, and he wanted to continue to fight their battles. Do you remember in last week's message, I know it was a long time ago, just seven days, that the Lord indeed did fight their battles? Yeah, in chapter 7. And he gave them great victory. Let me reprise some of those verses. In verses 10, 9 and 10 in chapter 7, Samuel took the suckling lamb and offered it as a burnt offering before the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. Verse 13. So the Philistines were subdued, and they were not, uh, they did not come any more into the territory of Israel, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Ah, this was a wonderful victory, but you know, that was a long time ago. In between chapter 7 and chapter 8, you know, just last week and this week, 20 years or more have gone by. So it was in their minds a long time ago. Samuel's an old man now. And it seems that the people of Israel had what? Forgotten God's promises to them that he was good and that he would provide for them and protect them. And this so often happens in our lives as well. Our memory of God's goodness seems to fade so very fast. Now, remember again last week, Pastor Aaron encouraged us all to consider getting tattoos on our body of a particular Bible verse. Yeah, Deuteronomy 20, verses 3 and 4. It says, and he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. Verse 4, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. So why on earth would Pastor Aaron encourage us all to get a tattoo of this particular verse on our bodies? Because we are so prone to so easily forgetting that the Lord's the one that's going to fight our battles for us. He's the one that goes before us. He's the one that wants to be our protector and our provider. Just a curiosity question. Did anybody get a tattoo this last week? Perhaps they put a post-it note on their refrigerator, okay? That's a good one. Verse 22, and Samuel heard all the words of the people and repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. Wow. So here we see it again. Samuel once again takes his concerns, his criticisms, his complaints to the Lord. He does it again. He talks to the Lord about the issue. Now, let me ask you, did the Lord need this information no, he didn't need this information. The Lord already knew all this stuff. The Lord is not in need of information. 
But Samuel is in need of inspiration. Yeah. He's in need of spending time with God to receive his comfort, his peace, his guidance, his wisdom. Yeah. But the Lord didn't need all that information. But Samuel needed inspiration. Verse 22. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city. So the people have an opportunity to admit, oh, we've made a mistake. We've blown it. We repent. We've changed our mind. He gives them an out. But they refuse it. Why? Because they want what they want, when they want it, how they want it, and they want it right now. Sounds all too familiar. And it's kind of a scary thing that God will at some times give us exactly what we ask for, when we want it, how we want it, even though it could bring us harm at that time in order to teach us things. And this is what takes place when we set out to become the king of our own lives, the master of our own destinies. When we grasp at what we think God hasn't given to us and should give us, we think somehow we should have it right now. And yet God says, not yet. But we think we know what, was, what is best, so we want to start making plans to make it happen right away. God will give them the king they're looking for, King Saul. And as we're going to find out as we continue in our study in 1 Samuel, King Saul's going to fail the people. He's going to fail the Lord. The people's motive for wanting a king so that they could be like all the other nations in the world but it was not God's intention for his people Israel and it's not his intention for you and I either remember these words from Moses back when the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness in Exodus chapter 19 verse 6 it says God is speaking to this the, the people of Israel, and you shall be a, to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Do these words sound vaguely familiar to us as New Testament Christians? They should, because the Apostle Peter pulls from this verse in the Old Testament, and he elaborates on it more clearly for you and I. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Peter says this to you and me. He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God who once had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. If I could have the worship team come on up at this point. God has called you and I. 
He's called us to be his people, hasn't he? He's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But in order for us to be different, distinct from non-believers of this world, our lives are not to look just like their lives. Our desires are not to be focused on the same things that their desires have. And we don't rule our lives in the same ways they do. We're not living our lives in the same manner that they live their lives. We're called to be different. You and me. We're called to shine like the stars of heaven. Wow. We're called to be trophies of his glorious grace. And we're called to be accepted in the beloved. We're called to offer to God spiritual sacrifices that are sweet and pleasant to him. You know, when Jesus stood before Pilate, the Jewish mob cried out. In John chapter 19, 15, we hear the words, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answers, we have no king but Caesar. You see, at the center of the Christian life, the question must be answered, who will sit on the throne of our hearts? That's really at the heart and center of every one of our Christian lives. Who's going to sit on the throne of our hearts? So I've entitled this message, We Want a King. But perhaps I should have titled it, We Too Often Want to Be King. May I remind us of our hope of our calling with these words from the book of Ephesians. Let's stand as I read these words to you and just remind you of the glorious calling privileges that we have as subjects to the King of Heaven. Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the Beloved. Oh, Heavenly Father, may we not forget the glorious privilege of being called to be your son and your daughter. Lord, we repent of those times that we, like the children of Israel, look back and we think that the leeks and the onions of Egypt were so much better than your miraculous provision that you want to provide for us 
even in the wilderness of our lives, even in our wanderings, you are so faithful. You just want us to look to you, to seek you, to trust you. Lord, may we do that in a greater way today. In Jesus' name, amen.